I'm very excited about our time together this morning. I believe that the Lord has put this lesson in my spirit, and I am bringing it for the first time to you. And I pray that you would receive it. Always glad to have Pops and Granny here with us. Would you give... I thank all of you for being in God's house. Would you now ask the Lord to help us to receive his word? Father, for the next few minutes, as we have joined now here in body, help us to be here, Lord, in spirit and in mind, to receive, Lord, as the seed of your word into our spirit, so that in due season it will bear forth much fruit. We give you thanks and praise, and everybody say amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Today, I want to talk about begging in the vineyard. I believe there are three things that you need to understand, and I hope they come up on the screen for you to see. I believe, number one, that God wants your life to be fruitful. Number two, I believe that sin and self can stop you from being fruitful. And number three, I've never seen one vineyard ever beg for fruit. These are the very last words that Jesus is about to speak, and we read them in the Gospel of John chapter 15. These are the last words that Jesus is going to say to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And when he shares this passage with them and things he is going to say, he doesn't use money to show them the importance of life. He doesn't put a map in his hand and say, this is the map that's going to lead us into Jerusalem. We're going to invade it and take over the Roman rule over the Roman empire. What he basically does is he takes a vine in his hand and he says, this is the illustration that I want you to get. These are my dying words. And we read this in the book of John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples some of the last words before the crucifixion. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, Jesus is speaking, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. According to this one passage alone, we see that God does not want you to have a barren life. God does not want one person in this room to have an empty basket. God wants everyone in this room for your life to be a basket of abundance and to overflow with much fruit. So it is obvious that God has left us upon this earth for one reason, and that is as his children that we would bear much fruit. 
Can I get a witness? Here's what I have learned, ladies and gentlemen, that sin and self can lead to an empty basket. I have heard testimony after testimony. Pastor, I wish I'd have heard you speaking years ago. I wish I would have gotten in church years ago because I woke up at 45 and realized I had an empty life. I realized at 50 I was living nothing but a harvest of barren regrets. I wished, I wished how I would have given my life to God when I was in my teenage years. I could have saved my life from being an empty basket. Here's what I've learned is that sin and self can keep you in a cycle of emptiness. And so if your basket this morning, you feel like this is your basket, then I would encourage you today to become self-aware instead of self-absorbed. I would encourage you to become self-aware and say, God, if there is any sin in me, any unforgiveness, bitterness, resentfulness, anything in my spirit that is causing me to live a barren life, that I would give it to you. Because a barren life, ladies and gentlemen, does not bring you joy and it does not bring your heavenly father joy. The very reason to own a vineyard is to produce a harvest. If the branches stay connected to the vine, how hard does a branch have to work in order to produce? This right here is a satsuma tree. And if this tree gets planted, it doesn't have to beg the vine to produce. And yet, for the last 2,000 years, I believe that most preaching and most teaching that all of us have heard on how to live a successful and overcoming Christian life, I believe what most of us have heard on how to please God can be summed up in two words. Here are the two words. Try harder. It saddens me, ladies and gentlemen, when I see Christians pleading with God, much like I see in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a lot of biblical background or church, that is okay. But I would encourage you if you don't know what first kings 18 is to go home and read it i'm not going to get into the story because it would take time from what i want to say but in first kings chapter 18 there is a prophet his name is elijah and there are many many false prophets of baal there has been a drought in the land and now all of these false prophets and elijah is coming to mount carmel to prove who is the true and the living God. I'm not going to get into this, but here's what I want to tell you. When they get on the top of this mountain, these prophets of Baal begin to beg their God to produce fire, but it didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, 
then the prophets started chanting longer. They started begging more. They started trying harder. They started crying louder. And Elijah is making fun of them and saying, your God's on a vacation. Your God is going to the bathroom to relieve himself. Your God is on a long journey and you need to cry louder. And the prophets of Baal begin to cry louder. Here's what they do. They also begin to cut themselves and mutilate their bodies. And the blood was dripping down because they were trying to manipulate their God to respond by fire. And I feel as though we as pastors have told you precious people what you need to live a successful Christian life is just try harder. Are you stumbling over the same sin and the same habit? We've told you, try harder. Are you trying to love obnoxious people in your household? Try harder. If you are failing to rise an hour and pray and study, just try harder. And I think a lot of God's people are living in constant frustration. For us as pastors to tell you sweet people to try harder, it keeps you feeling like you are the only Christian that doesn't get it. I want us now to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath day's rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. What this is talking about, what this verse means is basically God spoke the heavens and earth to existence in the first six days. And then on the seventh day, God rested. It wasn't because God was tired, because God don't get tired. It's because God wanted to give you an example of how he wants you to rest from His your works when you rest in him knowing that he's working for you. But most, if we're honest here this morning, most Christians live and pray out of frustration, just hoping to get God to do something. They don't pray based off of what Jesus has already done. They pray hoping that God is somehow going to hear their prayer. And when he doesn't the first 30 days, they beg more and cry harder. And they add fasting to it. They add the prayer of agreement to it. They're hoping, looking for somehow for God to eventually answer their prayer. The scripture has established the fact that God is the vine. Numerous times, I don't have time to get into it, but all throughout the Gospels, he relates himself to the vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. Do you agree with that? If that is true and there is no doubt that it is according to scripture, then that means that God wants your life to bear much fruit. Do you agree with that? Then why are so many branches begging the vine to do something? What is the whole point, ladies and gentlemen, of having a vineyard? The whole point of having a vineyard is to produce fruit. What is the whole point in Jesus going to the cross? Is to purchase everything that you need. Is to provide everything that you need. 
if Christ died and was resurrected so that he can empower us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, then are we to beg and be barren? Are we to live and ask and be fruitful? I understand that who I'm talking to is years and years of tradition born out of fear and religion and frustration. I don't expect you to get this at this very moment. I am only planting a seed for tomorrow's harvest. I am not even looking for your response. I am planting a seed. Look at John 19 and 30 NIV. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. When Jesus said that it is finished, it does not indicate that the curtain has come down and the show is over and this is the end. That's not what that is referring to. No, what Jesus is saying to us is that all has been accomplished, that all the debt that sin owed has been paid for. What is lacking is now supplied and the wound has been healed. It is finished. He's paid it all so that you could have it. Then do we beg? Do we beg the vineyard to produce the fruit for us? When Christ has done all the work for our atonement. Let's go. Hebrews 4 and 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works and God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. This means that God rested after creation and it also could refer to that when Jesus said it was finished, it was done. I know that we are surrounded by well-meaning men and women who try to make us afraid that we're not doing enough to earn or qualify for God's favor. But the entire book of Hebrews is trying to show us what God really wants for our life. And it's not try harder. And it's not do more. And it's not earn it, deserve it, or merit it. It's simply stop trying to show the fig leaves of your own righteousness upon yourself and stop trying to build this tower of Babel to God because you're never good enough to go to God. That's why God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's why he came down from heaven's throne to earth. He went into hell for us because we could not do it. He came down to us. We can never reach up to him. God doesn't want us to sow our fig leaves of righteousness so we can look at God and say, look at what I've done. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're not used to hearing this, but I'm going to tell you right now, when you stand before God and you look at God and God asks you, why should I let you in? And you tell him because you dress right. That is an insult and a slap in the face to everything Jesus did for you. What you are basically telling Jesus is that what you did, I'm thankful for, but it wasn't enough. It's what I do. Just think about it. 
I'm not trying to make you think the way I think. I'm not, I'm, I promise you, I'm not. I'm only giving you something to think about. He wants us to rest and realize we have nothing to contribute to our redemption. God has given us everything that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Much like if you were here two weeks ago, there was a young lady here. Her name was Kate. And Kate was pregnant. She is pregnant. And she told us she's already purchased most of the things that that baby will need. Why? Because she is anticipating the needs of that child. And yet we feel like as a heavenly father, he doesn't anticipate our needs. That he doesn't know what we need. So we need to constantly go to him as begging in the vineyard. Begging for something that will organically produce if it stays connected to the vine. And we get exhausted, ladies and gentlemen, and frustrated and discouragement, hoping we can go to the cross and push the yes button, hoping that we can somehow manipulate him, hoping that he's not a God, that he is a genie, and that we can get our three wishes if we pray enough, fast enough, dress holy enough, look right enough, hoping that whatever we do will press the yes button in this genie will grant us our three wishes. And we get exhausted as well-meaning Christians begging God. I've been in the prayer rooms, and again, I promise you, I promise you I'm not upset at no one. I'm not pointing my finger at anyone. But I have been in prayer rooms where I've literally heard people begging God to save the lost. I have literally heard Begging God to heal the sick and begging God to mend the broken. Well-meaning Christians who are good people and no doubt they are going to be saved. But they beg God to move in America. And they beg God to move in their schools. And they beg God to move in their finances. And they beg God to move in their family situations. Hoping that God is a genie. And if they do it just right, He'll grant their request. And it all sounds good. Sounds good. But the Scriptures say numerous times, brothers and sisters... That Jesus is seated on the throne. I know we mean well, and I understand our verbiage. I get it. I'm not mad. I get our verbiage. We mean well. But I can show you numerous times in the book of Revelation alone, how many times that it says God is seated on his throne. Revelation 4 and 2, there's one that sits upon the throne. Revelation, I believe it is six, no, pardon me, five and 13 to him who sits on the throne. Go all the way back into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah six and one. I saw the Lord seated on a throne all throughout the scripture, especially in the book of Revelation. We see God is seated upon the throne. The point is God is seated. It's not, is this a literal throne or is it a figurative, uh, throne it doesn't matter if it's literal or figuratively speaking what matters is is that this is a throne and it is the seat of authority right. 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 
Okay? So, God, I just want to give you examples because I relate to examples. Your heavenly father is not pacing heaven, wondering what he's going to do in America, in your schools, in your finances, in your health. Your heavenly father is not biting his nails this morning over your problems and situations. Your heavenly father is not pacing, looking at his angels, wondering how he's going to bless you. And does heaven have enough resources to be that blessing? No, your heavenly father is seated on his throne of authority. He's seated, ladies and gentlemen. He's seated in authority. And no amount, again, I'm not trying to hurt you. I promise that is not my intent. But no amount of pleading or begging or even asking God to move will finally get him to stand up on your behalf. And we have taught you that if you can't get it through prayer, go to fasting. Because then surely that's going to twist God's arm and make him do it. When I don't understand if you're the vine and you stay connected to the vine and you're a branch, this is what he wants for you. This is not what he wants for you. So then why do we have to go here and beg him for something that he wants us to have? If your earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more? Can I keep going? Okay, a vineyard. I don't know a lot about a vineyard. I haven't studied vineyards, but this little bit I do know. A vineyard will produce if the branches are lifted out of the dirt and the dust. Do you, here's what I do know about a vineyard. Do you know that the branches have a tendency to fall down? They have a tendency to fall down into the dirt and get dust on them. And when they get dirt and dust on them, they stop really producing. So part of the vine dresser, part of what God does in your life is to lift your branches. See, see what, what you're getting upset at God is, is when God comes through with his pr- pruning shears, you think that God is mad at you. Your God is not mad at you. Your God doesn't discipline you out of abuse. In other words, he said, I'm going to kick the fire out of this stupid plant. I do these visuals so to entertain you and so that you get it. But when we didn't do what our father did, some of us had abusive fathers and would kick us in the seat of the pants. And then we think that that's how God responds to us. Sorry. Your heavenly father is so not like your earthly father if he was an abuser. When your heavenly father comes to you, he never comes out of anger. He never comes out of abuse. He comes out of love. And he says, this is not producing like it could. So I'm going to lift it up. This one is not really doing what it could be. It's not reaching its full potential. So I'm going to trim it. And I'm doing it all so that it can bear a lot of fruit. Not because I'm angry with it. Not because I want to kick the fire out of it. 
but because I want it to reach its full potential. Why? Because you are the image bearers in the earth. Jesus' work is already finished, and he showed you what it looked like. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, forgiving sins, saving the lost, healing the sick. He said, just as I have done, you can do greater works than these. Why? Because I go to the Father. And if I go to the Father, I'll come back again. But this time, I'm not going to just walk among you. I'm going to live in you. I'm talking today about begging in the vineyard. Do you agree that if this branch stays connected to this vine and this is planted in healthy soil and it gets sunlight and it gets water and it gets the nutrients from the from the soil that in its season it will produce are you with me as a christian then find out what god has already done for you through the new covenant scholars say that there's over six thousand promises in your bible Find out what God has promised in the new covenant. And cause if it's in the vine, then it will flow to the branches. Just as if it's in the loaf, you can find it in the crumb. Whatever's in the loaf is in the crumb. Whatever is in the vine is in the branches. If you are in him and he is in you. If you are in him and he is in you, then everything that is in the vine flows to the branches. See, Jesus has already pressed the yes button. And here's what the word says. All the promises of God are yea and amen. That means they're already yours. They're already yours. I want to encourage you this morning. You qualify for everything that God has already provided. Would you say that with me? I qualify for everything that God has already provided. I'm not, I'm not trying again. I just have to keep prefacing this. I am not trying to be rude or ugly. But let me ask you a question. Do I need to walk around this plant and look real pretty and real cute for it to produce? I, again, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But do I need to walk around this plant seven times? For the oppression around it to fall. So it will produce. Do I need to walk around this plant begging it? Pleading with it? Asking it, will you please produce the harvest that I need? Just saying that sounds foolish, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But we do it every day. This is also going to look foolish, 
But you need to see it because when you see it, because there's a lot of things you can say in your mind, but when you speak it out loud, it's like, really? And when you see it, you're like, really? Have you ever seen an owner of a vineyard go to the vineyard and beg? I'm begging you, Satsuma tree. I am pleading with you. Please, please produce what I need. Have you? And yet this is what we do. We beg God. Please, God, I am begging you, heal my body. Save my lost loved ones. Just let me ask you a question. I believe that it's very biblical for us to pray God change their hearts. But if we're going to see people saved, he's already told us what to do. Preach the gospel. So what we're doing is, is we're begging God to do something so we can excuse ourselves from doing something. It's easier for me to go to God and beg him than for me to obey Acts 10 and 8. You healed the sick. You raised the dead. You cleansed the leper. You cast out the demon. So it's easier because I can now blame God because it's not happening instead of doing what his word commands us to do. Because really, I don't believe I... Yeah, I spoke in tongues, but yeah, and I accepted Christ as my Savior, but I really still don't have much. And so the enemy has got us convinced, and we're like a dog chasing its tail, that we really don't have anything. So we need to beg to receive something. When God said, the whole reason that I went to Calvary is so I could not just be among you, but be in you. So the same God that cast out devils in his day is the same God that can tell the devil, you hush your mouth. And come out. You be healed in the name of Jesus. Are you still with me? I don't believe, ladies and gentlemen, that God plays favorites. I don't. I believe that God responds to faith. I do not believe he, he goes to favorites. I believe he responds to faith. Okay, now I need you to transition in your mind now to Luke 15. Luke 15 is about the elder brother and the prodigal son. Okay? Now, make that transition. Here we are. Like the bitter elder brother in Luke 15, we cannot work, sacrifice, beg, plead, or struggle in a prideful quest to obtain what is already ours. In other words, we see the cross as a vending machine. And my 30 years of teaching Sunday school ought to amount to something. And my $50,000 over the years that I've given in tithe and offerings ought to amount to something. And we see the cross as a vending machine and our self-righteousness as the currency to get God to do what we want Him to do. So I'm going to say this again. Like the bitter elder brother in Luke 15, we can work, sacrifice, beg, and plead, and struggle in a prideful quest to obtain what is already ours. What did the father say when he got very angry and would not come back in the house? What did he say? Notice what he said. Son, all that I have is already yours. It's already yours. Or... Like the prodigal son. Now again, transition in your mind. We can come like the prodigal son did. And we can come to the father with the mindset of a servant. That we're unworthy. That we're disqualified and unclean because of everything we've done. Now if you haven't gotten anything else, please get this. 
Are you ready? I hope it comes up on the screen for you to see. Neither the son understood, neither son understood his true position. The father did not want the prodigal disqualifying himself as unworthy. And the father did not want the elder son to pride himself in all he had done. The truth was he loved them both. And he wanted both of them to take their eyes off of what they have done and look into the face of the father that said, all that I have is already yours. I hope this comes up on the screen. I want you to see it. If you can earn it, then what you are getting is a wage, not a gift. Second, if you can win it, it's a prize. Third, if you qualify for it, it's a reward. Here's what our pride wants. Our pride prefers wages, prizes, and rewards. But when a gift is given to us, we can either humbly accept it and be grateful for the gift, or we can refuse it. And I went this morning to Brookshire's, and this fruit right here cost me $31.48. And I am asking you, in all sincerity, I'm asking you to please come and take this fruit and take it home with you. And you know what you said immediately? Oh, pastor, I can't do that. You paid for that. That's yours. He paid for that and it's yours. Oh, pastor, I will take your fruit, but I'm going to leave a dollar on the table. Then you're insulting me because now what you're doing is you're trying to earn a gift that I'm trying to give you. Well, pastor, if you let me sign up for the rewards program and let me earn this, then I'll take your fruit. And God is saying, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And I will not let you pay for it because if you did, then you would boast in what you've done. And no man is going to boast in my presence. What I give you, I freely give you as a gift. Because we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Now, guess what? We stand in his righteousness, in his favor, and in his authority. Again, because he is the vine and you are the branch. Because he is in you and you are in him. This is what he wants your life to look like. Not begging him to do something he's already done so that you can look like this. But to just receive what he's already done. Do I deserve it? No. Could I merit it? No. Am I good enough to get it? No. That's why it's called grace. Can I keep going? When your heart, ladies and gentlemen, now listen, you have to understand something. I've been thinking about this, praying over this, studying this for the last five to seven years. I don't expect you to get it in one sermon. Okay? I don't. I don't I'm not even asking you to believe it. If what you're doing is working for you, then keep doing what's working. But if it's not working for you, then I, 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 I just humbly ask that you give this at least an opportunity. 
When your heart becomes convinced of this truth, like my heart has become after seven years of studying, then here's what it's going to, here's what it's done for me. It has produced in me a gratitude and a joy and an adoration that I just, I just have to worship because it still blows my mind that God did all of that just for me. And he ain't asked me to do one thing to earn it or deserve it or merit it. Then, see, the reason why some of you are not worshiping like you, like God really wants you to is because you still think God is a vending machine and your genie. And if you find the magic formula, surely, surely he's going to produce for you. And it's like the owner. What, what would y'all think if you went out to a vineyard and you literally saw the owner out there begging? for its fruit trees to produce, what would you think? Let me ask you a question. Be honest with me. Would you think that man is... What would you think, Granny? Tell me. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. If that stays planted, if it gets the sun, and in this instance, let's not say S-U-N, let's say S-O-N. And it gets the water, which is the Spirit. And it stays planted in the soil, which is the Word. Okay, this just is coming to me. I can't get into this, but let me ask you a question. If you got any church history at all, when God told Moses, Moses, I want you to smite the rock and water will come out. Is that correct? The second time he says, Moses, I want you to speak to it. Paul tells us what that rock was. That rock is a type of Christ. Now, the the analogy is, is that the first time Christ had to be smitten. But the next time you're not going to smite him again. In other words, when you have a need, Jesus doesn't say, okay, I finally heard you. I'm going to jump up here and jump up on this cross and die for your sins again and die to bless you. That's why he said, Moses, you can't go into the promised land because you didn't represent me well. Because I told you to smite it once. Then the second time I told you to speak to it. Okay, this is going to lead me into my close. Because of the last five to seven years, I am now changing what I have learned about prayer. Are y'all still with me? Okay, faith is good. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen. Faith is good, but faith isn't a work that qualifies you to receive an answer from God. Okay, I'm going to say that again and I'm hurrying. Faith is good, but faith isn't a work that qualifies you to receive from God. Faith is the belief that takes hold of the answer God has already joyfully provided for you. Oh God, let us hear it. This is mine. You know why it's mine? Because he paid for it. Right. Because he wants my life to be fruitful. Right. Because he I he he does not, ladies and gentlemen, get great glory out of this being your life. 
You know why? Because you are his representative in the earth. Ask any good parent. Ask any good parent. Any good parent will tell you, I don't want my child to have a barren life. I want my child to get a good education. I want them to go and flourish. I want them to have their own house, their own car, their own money. I want them to be blessed. And if a good parent wants that for his child, why would, want, why would God want this for you? Just doesn't make sense. Okay. Please get this. I hope it comes up on the screen. I'm wrapping it up. Faith isn't something you get God to move. Faith isn't something you do to get God to move. Faith is the confident assurance that God has already done it. He has already abundantly supplied everything you need through the victory in Christ Jesus. And I simply go and I claim what already belongs to me. So now, I didn't want to lead you here and not show you how I am now praying. Some of these are going to come up on the screen. Hear how I am now praying. God... I have confidence in you because I am in you and you are in me. And this is a good one. I come into the courts of heaven clothed in your righteousness, your favor, and your authority. I don't back in like a, like a servant. I don't come in angry like an elder brother. I come in looking at the eyes of my father. Saying everything I have is all because of you. Here's how I pray. I walk in this world as your image. Having your authority and your power as I move throughout my day. Now I pray like this. Father, thank you for putting me at the right place at the right time. I had a woman tell me at a funeral, Pastor, many, many years ago, you prophesied to me that I would have many children. She said over 150 children have come through my house as a foster parent. I never even remembered it. What, what are you saying? That's not, I, I, here's what I'm saying is it's in you. It's already in you. You just have to let it flow out of you. You just have to be confident that he is in you and that he is for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? How can God be for you and against you at the same time? A house divided cannot stand. Either he's for you or against you, but he's not both. Here's how I'm praying. I worship you in all ingratitude that such an extraordinary gift is mine. Here's how I'm praying. You, God, have given me all authority over all the powers of the enemy. Here's how I'm now praying. I will share with you the life and power you deposited in me. Here's how I'm now praying. God, I have an unshakable conviction that I belong to you and I belong in your house with my feet under your table. And forgive me for every striving to earn a place at your table because you welcome me there. Here's how I am praying. I don't want to be like the prodigal son who comes with the mindset of a servant. Neither do I want to be like the elder brother who wrongly believes he was earning his reward through his good work or behavior. I want to rest assured that I am your child by virtue, 
not of what I have or haven't done, but because you have adopted me as your own. And I am your child. Would you stand with me? Talking about begging in the vineyard. I'm going to ask you one more time. Does God want me to rest? Since he is the vine and I am the branch, does he want me to rest? Or does he want me to beg the vine to produce what he already wants me to have? I just want you to think about it. Because here's what I know. When this vine, this is what I tell the Hope House guys all the time. Guys, you got to get planted. You got to get planted. If, the, if TPC is not your home, find you a home. But you got to get planted. Because no matter how good the tree is, if you uproot it, put it over here, and then uproot it six months and put it over here, then uproot it six months and put it over here, this is what you're going to have. You're going to have a harvest of barren regrets. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to rest in him and just abide. I had a sweet man in this church that, that is an encourager. He's my personal encourager. And he said, Pastor, I, I went to Viter and I saw a sign and it said, God is building this house. He said, I called to encourage you today, Pastor, to remind you God is building TPC. And I'm going to admit to you, sweet people, that it's very easy for me to get up here and preach to you. But it's very difficult for me to rest because I'm a doer. But he didn't make us human doers. He made us human beings. And he wants us to rest in the finished work of Calvary. Thank you, my sweet encourager. You know who you are. Thank you for reminding me again that if I just abide in him and he abides in me organically, I'm going to produce because he wants his reputation to be magnified in the earth. And as image bearers of Christ, when you produce good works, you are magnifying his reputation. Would you bow your head? If there's sin or self, and you identify more in the empty basket than you do the fruitful basket, then why don't you take a minute and just say, God, I surrender. I want us to sing that song. I surrender all. I want you to surrender all of this begging, all of this pleading and hard work that you think you got to earn, good behavior. Stop seeing God as a genie and see Him as a heavenly Father that delights in you. That wants to bless you as you come in. And bless you as you go out. See, I've said it many times and I'm going to keep saying it. God doesn't get involved with you to decrease you. God gets involved with you to increase you. Mm. Do you receive that word? So 
As serious as I know how to be, I want you to come up here and start getting this fruit. I ain't even joking. If it's nothing but one grape, I want you to come get it. And I want you to remind yourself that he's given you what you did not deserve or pay for. you got to go I understand but if you don't have to go why don't you come up to the front it's just good for you to step out of your pew it's just good for you to come and raise your hand and say God thank you for reminding me give it to him all your striving all your efforts reason why a lot of you don't worship we get up here and we ask you let's worship you clap and that's okay I'm okay with clapping but clapping is not really worship so it's maybe a form of it but what real worship is is when you surrender but see when you're looking at him as a genie and when this genie don't grant you your wishes now you're disappointed in your genie Because surely after all you've done, you deserve to be treated better. And when you read, brothers and sisters, the end of Luke chapter 15, this is how the story ends. And the angry brother would not come in. The angry brother would not go into the house 
And that's how the story ends. Because he saw his heavenly father as after all he's done, you didn't treat me right. And here's the sad part. The brother that left and brought shame to his father came back into the house. Whereas the elder son that got the look, I did all this for you and you didn't treat me fair. The Bible ends and he did not go into the house. I'm going to talk to all of you sweet, sweet people that I love very much. And I'm going to serve because when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to look at me and, and say, I didn't tell you the truth. I want you to hear me very closely. Those that have served God 30 and 40 years can wind up being lost. And those who come in at the 11th hour can wind up being saved. Yo, I'm preaching out of my spirit. I can't give you the exact chapter and verse. I know it's in there. I read it many times. But real quick, here's the story. Here's the story real quick. God said, would you work for me? And they said, yes, we'll work for you for a denarii. Would you work 12 hours? And they said, yes, we'll work 12 hours. Then another worker came and he said, would, can I work? Yeah, you can work. Would you work eight hours? And, the, and he said, sure. Would you work for a denarii? He said, sure, I'll work for one denarii. Then another guy came and said, hey, I need to work too. Would you work me? He said, sure. Would you work four hours? He said, yeah. Would you agree to a denarii? He said, yeah, I'll agree to that. And then the last one came and said, I need work too. He said, well, there's only one more hour till closing, but would you work for a denarii? I said, sure, I'll work for a denarii. Y'all know the story, don't you? Don't you? This guy that worked 12 hours, what happened to him? He came and he said, God, I am mad at you. You didn't treat me fair. I bore the heat of the day and you only paid me a denarii. And this little whippersnapper, this little Hope House kid that just came into church, this little Hope House kid that don't know nothing, never taught a Bible study, never taught Sunday school, probably hadn't even paid $10 in tithes. Now you're going to give him heaven? Surely I deserve more than that. Because you don't understand how God thinks. Because God don't play favorites. He loves both of his sons. And all that he has is already yours. And the reason why, and I love you, I'm not mad at you, but the reason why you worship, you, base, you worship based off of what God has done for you lately. And because you don't feel like he's treated you right, you withhold your worship. Much like a wife who is offended, withholds certain things from her husband. I'm offended. And here's what Jesus said. Y'all, I got I to gotta tell y'all how God thinks. John the Baptist was in prison and Jesus didn't go and visit him. And you know what Jesus says? Blessed is he who's not offended in me. John, I've already said you're the greatest prophet that ever wore shoe leather, son. Just because I don't come and visit you don't mean I don't love you. You served your purpose. Now you're fixing to get your reward. But you can be offended in God because he's not your genie. And that's heavy, isn't it? But I've preached to you the truth in love. And the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, there's not a lot of joy in Christianity anymore is because he's a genie and not a God. 
And we're offended at him because he hasn't treated us the way we thought he should treat us. After all we've done for him, how can he dare pay us one denarii when we bore the heat of the day? But I'm sorry, Sister June. I'm sorry to tell you, Sweet Pea, you've only saved yourself a lot of heartache. But that doesn't mean God owes you a different heaven than what he's going to give William right there if he stays in here and makes it. William, that boy right there, if he stays in here and stays connected to the vine, he's going to get the same heaven you did. Because that's how God sees it. Because you're all his sons and daughters. Yeah. Just think about it. That's all. That's all I'm doing. Is I'm not asking you to believe like I believe. You don't have to believe like I believe. I'm just giving you something to think about. Because I believe that as the image bearers of Christ, we ought to have joy. We ought to have love. We ought to have peace. We ought to be like a beacon to the world that they're just attracted to us. Like bugs come to light, they ought to just be attracted to us because they feel so much love, joy, and peace. And we worship not because of what he's done for us lately. We worship because of who he is. Because he's a good, good father.